right, that's good. That's good. Welcome, everybody, to Clear the Dance Floor here on Radio Free Brooklyn with me, your host, Colby Smith. And let's just jump right into it today because I'm very excited about our guest. And, oh, my God, I just, I just refreshed the page, and now the thing is gone that I wrote. Your intro's gone, Allison. <laughs> no, just make it up. Make it Let up. me say, this is what I remember. Okay. You are a music and culture journalist. Yes. You are an assistant editor at UltimateClassicRock.com. Mm-hmm. Your writing has also appeared in, let's see how many of these I can get. You just tell me when I when I start being wrong, okay? okay. <laughs> Insider, Brooklyn Rail, Brooklyn Magazine. Oh, yeah, save yourself. Okay. Uh, sh- the New York Review of Books. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> and we'll just say and more. And more. That's good. That covers it off. Allison Rapp, you're here. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for coming. Oh my gosh, thank you. I bungled this intro. I don't know. You were accurate. You <laughs> yeah, were accurate. That's true. It, it wasn't bad. <laughs> it was going to be so clean. I was like going to just yes. switch and then it was gone. That's I, always I apologize. how it happens. I apologize. Yeah. All good. All good. But it's true that you are here. You are the uh, uh, an assistant editor at Ultimate Classic Rock. We were talking about this right before we went on. And there is so much to talk to you about. Uh, you you write for them very, very often uh, as, a result <laughs> <should> of your, <laughs> as a result of your post. Um, but I want to start with your coverage of what else? The Bob Dylan Center that mm-hmm. opened in May of last year uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, because this is both how I found your work and how I decided to take a little trip of my own, which I've also talked a little bit about on the show uh, before this. But you got a a, a, a sneak preview, right? It, w- it was I not did. open to the public yet. Do you want to tell us just kind of how that materialized? Yeah. I mean, I, I did also just say this just before the show started, that I had almost kind of forgotten that the Bob Dylan Center was going to be a thing. And, you know, I'd heard the kind of rumblings the year or two before. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, this was a project that was years in the making. People have been working on the center for a long time before it opened. But I had sort of forgotten about it. It was kind of like a dream in my head. And I was actually on a trip. I was in San Francisco at the time. Um, uh-huh. And I was kind of on my way back. And I was sitting in my rental car. And I got an email from uh, the publicist who was handling a lot of that stuff. And they said, mm-hmm. hey, do you want to come out to Tulsa? Like, the, we're having a grand opening weekend the first weekend of May. Do you want to come out? And I was like, the, the what? Like, I Tulsa in the middle? Where? Of, where's t- Yeah, right? <laughs> Um, and I immediately jumped on it and pitched the idea to my editor. And I thought, you know, this is kind of something that we've never really seen before a center Mm. of that kind for an artist of that kind, everything located in one spot. Um, so that was how I ended up getting the invitation and heading on down to Tulsa that weekend. And that was a few days, um, right after grand opening weekend, I think was when the center actually opened to the public. So it was just before. So I'm wondering if you had the experience that I had whenever I told people that I was going or even like after I came back, where if they know if they know even a little bit about Bob Dylan, what they ask is, why is it in Tulsa? Oh, first question. Right. percent first question. And it, yeah. is there a clear answer to this question? I mean, like what I told people was like, oh, the Woody Guthrie Center's there and it's like the similar, it's like the same foundation that runs both collections, right? Yes, it yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say it's clear. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the word that I would use for it. Um, I can certainly, you know, I, I can see the bits and pieces that would draw to that. Um, and I can kind of understand why it wouldn't end up in, say, LA or New York or something of that mm-hmm. nature. Um, you know, if anything, you might automatically think it'd be up in Duluth or in Hibby 
shipping or something like that. But if anything, that actually might be harder to get to than Tulsa is. I mean, at the very least, Tulsa has the benefit of being literally smack in between both of the coasts. So if you're on the East Coast or on the West Coast, I mean, you only have halfway across the country to go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I certainly didn't really put that together. There was an interview I remember with Dylan roughly around that time. I think he was speaking mm. to Variety. Um, and his quote, if I'm remembering correctly, was that he, the casual hum of the heartland is how he oh put it, God. that he loved... This you know, guy, that, that was where he, I know, right? Like how, <laughs> oh goodness, how lofty. Um, that, you know, that part of America, that part of the country, I guess, mm-hmm. speaks to him in a way that the other parts don't necessarily. Um, and yeah, I mean, I certainly think that the Woody Guthrie Center had a huge part in it, yeah. without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. And so what was your, what were your impressions overall of the, because like you said, it is kind of a one of a kind yeah. uh, 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 thing to have this, not only the whole collection there and huge parts of it accessible to people, mm-hmm. but also to kind of, you know, celebrate this particular artist who is so shrouded in mystery, you know, kind of by design still. Uh, so, yeah. So did you go in with expectations where they met, exceeded, subverted even? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. It's difficult to say. I mean, I, I think I was a little bit apprehensive of the idea that it could feel a little bit too kind of sterile and clinical, like yeah. museum-like, like literally museum-like. Um, and so I was a little bit worried about that. I mean, you kind of, you might run into that problem doing something like that. But I was thinking more specifically, I was comparing it already sort of in my head to the David Bowie Is exhibit that uh-huh. was out several years ago. It actually was here in Brooklyn at the Brooklyn Museum. And right. I must have gone to that three or four times. I loved it so much. Like I thought it was the coolest thing. I loved how it flowed. I loved that the music was integrated into that exhibit. I loved that it gave you, you know, it was designed for people who were both super fans and loved the artist and also maybe didn't know all that much about the artist and wanted to learn a little bit more. I wanted to kind of get a good overview. And so I, that was the exhibit that was kind of in the back of my head when I went to this. And I thought, man, I really hope it's kind of like that. Yeah. Um, And it's funny because when I first went, I landed in Tulsa on a Wednesday night and they told me on Thursday, they said, you can go whenever you want, just slip in. I actually got tipped off that um, Mavis Staples, Staples, excuse me, was going to be at the center at like 10 a.m. And I was oh like, great, well, I'm going to go at 10 a.m. then. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I did. And there was Mavis and she was going around <laughs> in her little scooter and she was like pointing at things on the walls and saying, you know, like, oh, I, I can't do a Mavis voice. But you know what she sounds like? She's like, oh, you know, I remember such and such this and that. It was the cutest thing I'd ever seen. I yeah. gave her enough space to like do her thing or whatever while I was circling around. Um, but while I was in there, this guy approached me and he said, oh, did you get a headset yet? And I hadn't. I didn't even oh, know yeah. there was a headset like aspect. I just like breezed right through. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, did you get a headset? And I said, no. And he handed it to me and he actually ended up explaining to me that the team that worked on the audio project for the Dylan Center is the same one that did the audio for the David Bowie is. Ah, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so immediately I was like, oh, well, that's awesome. Like, that's exactly what I was hoping for. Um, And I thought that aspect of the exhibit, the kind of audio integrated with the actual physical artifacts was Mm. really great. Um, I didn't, I tried to go in with as little of an expectation as possible, just wanted to be as open-minded as I could. Um, And I was really impressed. I mean, the space itself is not, huge. It's not like it's this grand 10-story building or anything. And considering how much stuff is in the Dylan archive, I mean, they must have spent a lot of time kind of picking and choosing what they wanted to put forth for the first exhibit, too, you know, Mm -hmm. the first opening. Um, And I was really impressed. And I thought, again, like the David Bowie is exhibit, it was something that 
true hard Dylan fans were going to really love and pick apart, but also people who really weren't that interested in Dylan, just kind of aware of him per se, um, were also going to, you know, be interested in. Yeah. Well, part of the thing that, that, uh, it was both, it was like, I read your, uh, coverage and I read Ray Paget's uh, review. I met, that was my first time meeting Ray. Yes. Oh my gosh. It was great. We actually met, we met down the street at the church studio, which is where Leon Russell, yeah, did all of his recording. Yeah. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Well, also, I mean, you mentioned Leon Russell. There's, I, I made a point of visiting the, the mural of Oh, yes. There, uh, which yes, is like yes. really, really cool. Yeah, uh, that weekend was kind of like the ultimate summit of like Bob Dylan people. It was a <laughs> yes. little wild. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, I mean, I, we can we can take a brief sidebar, talk about Len, uh, Leon Russell for a second, uh, who I just think is like a really like fascinating uh, figure, not just because yeah. he has like the greatest look of all time. Uh, oh, yeah. That, like, that huge <laughs> beard and that long white yeah. hair and the top hat is just like, it's so cool to me. Cool before it was cool. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. neat. But he, um, uh, in 2010, I mean, I'm not telling you anything. This is more for the listeners. I know you want all, all this stuff. This was when Elton John and he did that that duet album, and he was kind mm. of like brought back into the fore, and like people were doing all these interviews with him. But he played on um, when I paint my masterpiece. Mm. Uh, those like that those couple songs that Bob Dylan recorded for the first greatest hits album, and him just talking about like, yeah, we kind of just like dared him to like write a song over lunch. <laughs> 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 he came I back with what I made my masterpiece, which yeah. is like the coolest uh, story. So it was like cool to see that that mural, knowing that yeah. that story was out there and have it kind of connect. But anyway, I also made a specific right across the street from the church studio there in Tulsa mm-hmm. is the diner where Tom Petty signed his first record contract with Shelter Records. Oh, really? oh, yeah, wow. oh, man. which I thought was just it's the same diner. I don't know if it's the exact same. Like met, they have a menu actually in the church studio, which uh-huh. is allegedly the same menu that was there like when Petty signed the. Re- I don't know if that's necessarily. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, let's say it is. Yeah, but yeah. it's the same diner. And so, I mean, I'm a huge Petty fan. So that was my little, like, mm. I had a moment there. That's so, yeah, I mean, there are just so, there's so much to offer. Uh, there's a uh, lot more history in Tulsa, music history, than I, I even realized. And I'm sure a lot of other people, you know, would realize. For sure. For sure. I mean, going back to the, to the, to the Dylan Center, I mean, uh, um, I forget even where we were talking about. Like, I, I guess, like, just for, so people know, uh, when we talk about the, the space itself. So like a, the the main kind of floor is like uh the the outer edge of the of the wall is like the story of his career. You yeah. Know what I mean? And there are these. Oh, it was the headsets. That's what I was going to yes, bring up. Yes. Yes. So uh and there are all these like little points where you can kind of scan mm-hmm. uh, uh these little like iPod Mini that they give you. <laughs> yes. Essentially. <laughs> and it starts playing something that's like related to the this particular part of the exhibit. Right. Now. Dylan, there are there are obsessives who you know are people who like go through his trash and like try and <laughs> try there and are. find. But particularly in the internet age, I feel like a lot of this stuff kind of like circulates. You know what oh, I mean? Of Where it's just like there's there's audio on YouTube of him like you know being uh, um, interviewed by magazine journalists in 2001 mm-hmm. and like all this stuff. Um, so I, I probably like many people went in thinking like, well, I'm just gonna know all the stuff. That they mm. had, or like, know all the stuff that they talk about, sure. could not have been more wrong. And oh, this yeah. was the thing that both you and and Ray, I feel like, made very clear in your coverage that really kind of whetted my appetite. Yeah, I think. I mean, like I said, I don't know exactly what I was expecting to see, but there yeah. were a bunch of different artifacts that I frankly like didn't even know were physically possible to like put in a glass case and put up there. You know, um, I loved, uh, they had all three at the time. I don't know if they have all three cause two of them were on loan at the time, all three mm-hmm. of the blood on the tracks notebooks. Yeah. 
And I love that thing they did where they kind of digitized the pages so that you could flip through like on a touch screen and you could actually see the physical notebooks, but then you could flip through digitally and see. And that is, I mean, that's genius to me. Like I didn't even think something like that was, I couldn't come up with something like that. I I thought it was so neat. I know. It's funny you mentioned the blood on the track stuff because that was like, I'll admit that I got a little emotional looking at those. (laughs) (laughs) The the notebooks. I I was like texting my friend. I was like, well, I just saw handwritten lyrics to to Tangled and Blue. They're a lot smaller than I thought they were (laughs) going to be. The little notebooks I was like, Dylan must have been writing with a little pen. It's a little, oh my gosh. It was it was so neat. I mean, I never thought something like that could be displayed. I just no way. I, it was so cool. Oh yeah. yeah. Particularly like he his like his, his his the way he talks about his own career and like his own legacy is very like dismissive. Yes. So like it would not have surprised me at all if he was like, Oh yeah, I threw all that stuff away years ago. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> Well, I I know I can remember. I think I saw a tweet recently that was talking about how, you know, like Dylan will record the most beautiful version of a song that you could have ever heard in your life in the studio. And then he'll be like, throw it in the trash. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and and I feel like he feels maybe that kind of way about his physical things. too. Like, oh, it's a notebook. It's full. Like, throw it in the trash. Like, I don't need it anymore. So I wonder who exactly was picking up these pieces (laughs) along the way. You know, it was I'm sure it was a collaborative effort with multiple, you know, hundreds of people along the years have been responsible for making sure that this stuff has ended up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Absolutely. And it. I don't think it was Dylan. Yeah, no way. <laughs> you know? yeah, like Albert Grossman's just following him around. Yeah, just like, like just picking things up. Exactly. <laughs> he drops on the floor. Which is just so interesting, you know, especially because there's a lot of artists um, who are the opposite of that. I mean, yeah. who save things religiously and are really careful about that sort of stuff. Um, you know, you hear about people all the time, like finding stuff in their basements and in mm. their attics and boxes and stuff. But yeah, you know, it's it's wild. I mean, a recent one is uh, Blondie. That like Blondie yes. box set that came out. I don't know if it was this year or last year. It was last uh, year, yeah. But it was mm-hmm. like um, um, uh, Chris Stein just like found all this, all these tapes <laughs> in his did, attic yeah. or something, and he's just like he's not trying to dress it. <laughs> Reading no. those interviews with him was so funny because he'd be like, "Yeah, I really never thought that. I just uh, just there had no idea the stuff was there. Totally, <laughs> I know. Like, and there like, was like your basement didn't flood, <laughs> asshole. Like, <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. I just recently um, they have an exhibit here in New York of some band photographs with Bob Dylan from uh, uh, yeah. the show at the Rock of Ages show, the one that was recorded, mm-hmm. um, and. And apparently that was something that Robbie Robinson just like found yeah. in his basement. He was like, oh, yeah, we, we did that. <laughs> you know, crazy. But yeah, I mean, the the fact that the Dylan Center has all of that stuff in one in one collective spot yeah. is, is a feat. Yeah. yeah. Now, did you get a sense when you were there of because like you, this is one of the things that both you guys wrote about was how how uh, um, it, they, they really wanted to like evolve over mm. time and kind of have these like rotating exhibits in addition to that kind of permanent story on the first floor sure. did you get a sense of of kind of what was in store or or uh, um yeah um not necessarily i mean my understanding obviously was that those pillars that are within the room you talked about you know kind of the outside having the basic right, chronological right. order but yeah. within the actual like floor itself there were what maybe four five six different pillars yeah. um each one of them dedicated to a different song and they were separated out kind of by the eras of bob dylan not to like make it a taylor swift thing but bob dylan's <laughs> eras um <laughs> And, you know, so they had something from, I can't remember what, I think it was, was it Blown in the Wind that was the example of the first kind of, I can't remember the exact song titles, but, um, you know, my perception then was that they were going to select different songs, I suppose, from each of those different eras. Right, okay, Um, yeah. I never learned anything about what was exactly coming up next, per se. Sure, sure. Um, And I don't know exactly who makes those decisions, (laughs) like, precisely, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I mean, and I haven't been back, so. yeah. 
Well, it's so funny you say that because I remember the, the ones that were there, I imagine they were the same as the ones you saw. Probably. Uh, I don't remember all of them, but the one I was surprised that was like, that was given its own treatment was The Man in Me. <gasps> yes. <laughs> I mean, I was so happy. I mean, I love that song. Underrated, yeah. But I was also kind of mm-hmm. like, I, I imagine that somebody coming in or just like, is this a song from The Big Lebowski? Like, what? what is Weren't this? they, pl- <laughs> and they were playing the clip yeah, too. And it, yes, they were the intro, which of course I'm sure, yeah, lots of people ran into and they were like, oh, that's yeah. where I know that song. Yeah. From. yeah. <laughs> but it's like, right next to the chimes of freedom yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that i understand exactly that was also next to i believe not dark yet right, right <laughs> yeah right. which which is interesting now too because we've gone through you know i've i've done a lot of reading and listening lately to the um the box set that they just put out oh, the, know. you know not dark yet um so yeah anyway i am hoping that those get switched out i don't know what their schedule is is going to look like for that yeah 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 it's it's interesting just that like you would the uh the collection is so uh um extensive already you know yeah. like, i feel got, like i got a lot out of it and just like knowing like there's more like, like there's always like more go back in two years and just yeah. have a completely different experience uh, and you can you know in terms of if you're a researcher if you're a writer that kind mm-hmm. of thing i'm sure you can apply to visit the actual full archives upstairs <laughs> yeah. behind the glass doors <laughs> well yeah i mean it's so funny you bring that up because like you have to like you have to walk past the like research room you do you know and it is locked uh, it is locked tight <laughs> lights off uh in order it to is. get to like the concert footage like the little screen it's room fort knox up there yeah it's um, tough <laughs> and i was just i was like kind of like peering in as being like <laughs> How how loose do we think these uh, definitions are of like scholar researcher? I was like, I have a radio show. That's what I was wondering too. Is like as long as you are doing some kind of work program, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I just I don't know. I wonder. It's funny because because here at like the New York Public Library, like at the Bryant Park, the, mm. like the big one, you can just like say you're anything, oh, anybody and they'll just that. like give you a room and like any book you want. 100%. You know, so I, I'm hoping that it's the same there. <laughs> I'm just be like, yeah, I'm actually, I'm a professor of, uh, of, uh, of tooth of the year 2000, yeah. uh, uh, concerts that take place in, uh, uh, I don't know. And as long <laughs> as you don't yeah. steal it, like who cares? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Now, do you, where, where did your kind of personal, uh, uh, journey with Dylan begin? Because I mean, we should just say, I mean, let's, let's acknowledge a part of this. You know, I, I'm looking at you across from me. We're probably about the same age, right? I, we're we're not I'm necessarily not sure. <laughs> we're not necessarily in the uh, the target demo for That's for fair. Dylan's core audience. So, uh, uh, where where did where did you kind of find this? All stuff? right, so you, you caught me. Yeah. You got you got me. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I do tend to, and I actually I've said this on multiple podcasts recently. I do tend to preface a lot of these conversations by saying that I'm I'm 23. There, there's your okay. answer for that. Um, okay, I'm a little older than you, but it's not a race. <laughs> I'm 23, which is you know obviously something that, that comes up from time to time because not many people look at me and assume that I write about the artists that I do and right, that I right. talk about them as regularly as I do. Um, and for me, you know, I, I tell people that because I feel like it gives me just an inherently different perspective on a lot of this work. I'm sure. already looking at it from a kind of retrospective um, angle. I had the what I consider luxury um, to have these artist catalogs at the tip of my fingers Absolutely. for pretty much my whole yeah. life um, and to have access to that all all through my life. Um, so for me, I mean, I grew up my dad was a big Dylan fan. My dad was a big Tom Petty fan. Mm-hmm. Traveling Wilburys played a lot around the house. I can remember my dad playing records like, you know, Blonde on Blonde was a big one for him, Highway yeah, 61. Yeah. So I heard a lot of those albums. And then he also kind of continued through his Dylan journey as well. Um, 
and he had Modern Times and those kinds of records. So I kind of got yes. like both at Modern <laughs> Times. I am a Modern Times apologist. I will live and die by that record. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So I kind of got like both ends of the Dylan like world from a pretty mm-hmm. early age. And I loved that. Um, I mean, I can remember being a kid and playing Traveling Wilburys. My dad had like taught me by the time I was small, like to pick out which artists were singing, you know, like yeah. oh, that's Jeff Lynn and that's George Harrison. Roy that. Orbison's coming um, in now. Yeah. And so, and, you know, also there were a lot of, um, you know, Beatles and the band and the Rolling Stones. And my mother was a big, my mother's like the world's biggest Peter Frampton groupie. Okay. She loved a lot of that, like, uh, you know, British Led Zeppelin and the Stones and Bowie. So yeah. I kind of had both, best of both worlds, best yeah, of like yeah, the, yeah. you know, either side of the big pond. Um, so Dylan, you know, I will admit, of course, when I was, you know, 10, I didn't necessarily quote unquote get Dylan yeah. in the way that... <laughs> I, I liked it. I knew I liked it, but I wasn't necessarily like yeah. analyzing the lyrics at that point. You weren't point. hearing East of Eden at 10 no, and being and, like, like, I wondering, get it. wondering, what does this mean? Yeah. This is so true. <laughs> exactly. Relatable. Yeah. Um, and then when I moved here to New York, I came here specifically to study journalism uh-huh. um, and to go to school. And I, you know, kind of started poking my nose around. Greenwich Village and like some of those venues that still exist where Dylan played. Yeah. Um, I picked up a copy of Susie Rotolo's book and I totally oh loved God. that. Really and that was the that. coolest thing. Yeah. yeah. So I was kind of just like, you know, looking around. And then my, I think it was the first, it was 2018 then, the year that Mavis Staples opened for him on that summer run of US shows. Yeah. I went by myself out to the Nassau Coliseum. It's okay. not the Nassau Coliseum. They're renaming it. or It's, it's something new now out yeah. there on Long Island. Um, and I went like by myself, you know, because <laughs> um, I thought, oh, I'd, I'd never seen Dylan before. And I didn't, I, I couldn't, that was going to be an opportunity for me to go see Bob Dylan, obviously. Um, and I remember going and I remember this guy down the way from me, like down the row, like getting really like visibly upset while Dylan was singing because he was like, I can't understand like what songs these are, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And he was very much still in his kind of Sinatra era then at the time and singing in that way. Yeah. Um but I remember thinking during that show, like, who cares, man? Like, Bob Dylan's up there. Like, this is awesome. Like, it's he's crazy. real and it's he's in the flesh. Yeah. To be in the same room as him, someone of that stature. It's nuts. And that was just as recently as that was 2018. Right. Um, so I've kind of just followed the path down a little more. And I feel really grateful to, you know, have been at the Dylan Center that yeah. weekend and to now be in this space. Absolutely. Awesome. So I want to go back to the thing you were saying about your dad playing a lot of this music. Yes. Because I, I, I think a lot of people find... Uh, uh, find it through parents or, or uncles or whatever, relatives. But I feel like just as many people uh, uh, hear it around the house all the time mm-hmm. and then they think, well, I've got to get away from this. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a good point. So I, I know, but, but I came on the same way as you where like I heard it and I was like, oh, this is like my favorite thing ever. Like I just, I feel like there has got to be, there is something about this music that is very uh, um that is unique and i I'll, I'll go i'll go a little bit further and i'll see if you if you uh, uh have a reaction to this <laughs> okay so it's like with with your even just looking at like places like where you work like ultimate classic rock for sure. example um you've got your pitchfork you've got your 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 rolling stone um but there in terms of like the landscape of coverage of popular music at, at the broadest level mm. i feel like the writings about and the, you know, exposure to this kind of period that we're talking about of like 60s, 70s rock into like maybe some of like the the 80s arena stuff you'd hear at classic radio or whatever yeah. is still like the most accessible. So there's something mm-hmm. about this time 
I think that's like always interesting to people, even if it just means like, oh, I'm going to buy like this Rolling Stone shirt I saw at JCPenney or whatever. And just like, <laughs> but like, that's cool to me. They're a 13 year old. You know what I yeah. mean? There, 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 there's like a, a, a symbolism almost that like has yet to be moved on from. Completely. I yeah. mean, I think a bunch of the, the Rolling Stones are a great example of somebody who certainly became a brand in a lot of different ways <laughs> yeah, that well, didn't. I, yeah. And I don't say that as yeah. a criticism. I no, mean, I certainly say it as, as a good thing, really. The Grateful Dead are another example. Pink Floyd, these kind big of time. Uh, yeah, big time. These artists are the who, big yeah. three of like the shirts I see. Yes. Even like here in Brooklyn is just I do like see every that quite day. ACDC, <laughs> I see a little bit of oh, too true. as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. Guns and Roses every once in a while. Yeah. But I mean, if if nothing else, that just speaks to the power of their, their, their reach, their influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I completely agree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess you would. It's your job to yeah. <laughs> cover these folks. <laughs> I mean, Bob Dylan, though, I think has maybe charted a little bit of a different path in terms Definitely. of his, um, you know, he's recognized in academic circles in a way that some of these artists are not. And again, I don't necessarily say that as a criticism to the no, other, no. Uh, you know, artists. Um, there's just, there's a different kind of conversation happening around someone like Dylan and the Beatles too, to a certain extent yeah. as well. Um, Elvis, like a lot of these artists who have kind of ingrained themselves in our cultural consciousness for so many years oh, that yeah. now people are looking at from like an anthropological sort of perspective, Definitely. which is really interesting. Definitely. You mentioned Elvis. Yes. Did you see Elvis, the movie? Last I year? did. What did you think? Wow, that didn't sound very good when I just answered that, <laughs> did it? That was also, I tried to go in with as little expectation as possible. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not usually one for a whole lot of glitz and glamour in my movies anyway. Me so too. I probably should have understood that a little bit more before I went into <laughs> it. Um, I. I mean, I don't want to disparage Tom Hanks on the radio, but like, oh my God, I feel so bad for him. If nothing else, I just yeah. feel bad for him. I was like, what, what is happening here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, the thing that I think I told people the most was that Austin Butler did a hell of a job with what he was given, you know? Mm. I mean, it, it was what he had to work with and I, I was impressed with his performance. I yeah. thought that was impressive. I wish that that hadn't been the quote unquote first Elvis movie that we really yeah. have had to kind of have these broader conversations about. I wish there had been something else before it. Um, but you know, there's gotta be a starting point for everything. Yeah, right. so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally agree about his performance. I mean, I, yeah. I just think it's amazing. I mean, we, again, we've talked about it on this show before where it's just like, uh, for, to buy in 2022, mm. a, a, a guy, somebody playing Elvis as like a real guy seemed impossible to me yes i was just like well it's just gonna be like a cartoon you know what i mean but it's like yeah. i just thought i was really impressed with what he did i, I was like this is a real person was given an impossible task yeah and he yeah. did the best that he could and we gotta applaud him for that at <laughs> Absolutely. least oh my gosh yeah but it's true though what, what you were saying about how like it's like these this kind of uh, group of people and dylan kind falls into this where it's just like they are they do like represent something bigger yeah, uh, uh, in a lot of ways. And I'm, I I mean, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, yeah. I'm not entirely sure that we know exactly what that bigger even looks like no. now. Obviously, we're just kind of getting to the bottom of it now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see how the next like 50 ish years or so kind of play out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh, uh, and I wonder if, how you feel, too. But I feel like the the center part of what was so um, uh, successful about it to me was that it kind of hinted at that you know it's yeah. like you really kind of you felt kind of who, of like who he was as like a person but also like 
it did kind of touch on, or it articulated to me in some way, like just how how big, like or how grand maybe he, yeah. he is, so like what he represents, and also to have something like that up while Dylan is still alive, and yeah. active and touring, I think is really interesting. I mean, that was something that was obviously missing from the David Bowie is exhibit mm-hmm. was that Bowie had already moved on, moved on. Yeah, <laughs> he was like, I'm done. Um, but yeah, it, it's just interesting then to place a lot of those things that you see in the center in context with what he's doing now. I mean, the man is 81 years old, which is just insane to sort of see this back catalog of work and then to think he's still on the road and where that wall ends. Mm. I mean, the wall ends, I can't remember if it included rough and rowdy ways or not. It it might've included just like a mention of it. But at that point, while that stuff was being built, um, it probably was not, you know, it was not yeah. announced yet. So Actually, that's, that's you know wild to think about. I think it only talks about murder most foul. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And of so, course, then we had no idea what was to come. Right. <laughs> 17 minutes long. Yeah. About yeah. a, it, it was, so it was assassination. Just, I found myself thinking about that a lot. I found myself thinking like, oh man, there's all this stuff and he's, he's still going. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think there's also this element. Uh, uh, I, I, I like this really, this trip really kicked off a thing for me where I, I came back and I, I read that Grail Marcus book that he put out last year, oh, uh, okay. folk music. Okay. Uh, and watched the the No Direction Home movie again. Yes. And it was kind they're all all three of these things kind of go, hint, hint at this kind of thing where it's like what is what leaves the earth when he mm, dies mm-hmm. or even retires, you know what I mean? Like when retires. he's not around to, whatever <laughs> that means for him. Yeah, you know? exactly. But when he's not around like I mean thinking about the book too that he put out the philosophy of modern songs yes. where it's just all these like little mini essays on these like very obscure <laughs> songs from the 50s <laughs> and then like he talks about the clash too, you know. But it's just like there is there is a sense I feel like of him keeping something alive that he's the only one doing. Yeah. Now. Completely. So when he goes, it's like that's just gone. That's I realize there's no question in this, but but <laughs> no, no, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, this is what we're left with then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you seen him since that uh, first show in 2018? Uh, yes, I saw him. I've seen him two more times at the Beacon Theater, which okay, is where yeah. he usually does that run of shows in November. Yeah. Um, and obvious. So I saw him on the last run that he did. That must have been in 2021. 2021. Then yeah. after the you know touring resumed. Um, I bootlegged the whole thing. Nice. Did you really? I sure did. Yeah. Just like on your phone? I did. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That rocks. That was a risk. Don't tell anybody that, although I've said it. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, well, you know, and it's, it's, it's for me. It's for my own Bob Dylan center that is in my apartment (laughs) at home. Um, And I just remember, you know, I loved Rough and Rowdy Ways through and through. I totally fell in love with that album from the very start, but to hear it live Mm -hmm. um, again, I didn't, walk in with a whole lot of expectation for what he was going to do with those songs, but I thought they sounded so strong live. I'd never heard Dylan's singing voice that strong. And I know a lot of other people, yeah, felt the same way. So it wasn't just a me, like a biased opinion on my part. Lots of other people said, man, his foot, whatever he's been doing in the last two years, like during the pandemic clearly is working because it sounds so good. Um, The band was great. I love Charlie on the drums. Mm -hmm. Um, Charlie Sexton on guitar. It was just, it was so good. Yeah. Do you remember which of the three nights that you went to? Because I was there on night one of the I like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Don't recall. It might have been the first night. Okay, yeah. But I yeah. remember it was the one where he kind of went on a little like mini. He was like saying all those different things about New York. He was yeah. like the Empire State Building, yeah, that's Big the one Apple, I was there. Fifth <laughs> Avenue. Right? Was that the first night? He was like Wall Street. 
It was just naming <laughs> random. Statue of Liberty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is he talking about like he's lived here like he knows what this place is like and he's just naming tourist like spots but that was the most that i'd heard dylan talk in between songs ever 100 ever yeah. it was truly i was giddy i know while that was happening. i'm glad i boot like that part oh, for sure God, it was so funny wall street statue of liberty yeah, i know right glad to see it's all coming back to life it's like Thanks. But I will say (laughs) that I've been thinking a lot about that show recently because uh, um, just as a point of like contrast. Sure. I'll say that like like you were just saying a second ago, like there is a lot of uh, enthusiasm, not only for uh, Rough and Rowdy Ways, but for that material live too. like anytime Mm -hmm. he would start. It was just like the first couple notes of a new song. People would like really it was very warmly received. Yes. And I'm thinking about that in contrast to like what's going on now with like. Uh, uh, like the Springsteen stuff. I don't know how much you're following this. Yeah. Where, you know, it was like this big ticket controversy. They're more expensive than ever by like a huge margin. Mm-hmm. And then the shows are like, not that good. They're like, they're not like, that good. They're like this guy playing the same set every night, which he's like not known for doing by any means. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And people, are, they're, they're very torn. And, you know, I'll just be totally honest. Like, yeah. I didn't love the last record anyway. Me neither. <laughs> you know, no, no, no. so and not that it was, you know, bad per se. It just, it was not my cup of tea. It was not m- my direction at I all. I feel the same way. So, yeah. Um, yeah, the contrast between those two types of shows is just, it's wild. Yeah. <laughs> those are not the same audience. No, not at all. Well, it's just like, it's really because like I, I saw the, the show when I was in Tulsa, the Bruce show. Uh, okay. And it was just kind of like. All people could really talk about were the tickets. And then at yeah. the end of the show, this woman I was standing next to, this like older woman leading, and she was just like, he didn't play Hungry Heart. <laughs> <laughs> you spent all this money, yeah, exactly. took all this time, <laughs> and he didn't even play Hungry Heart. Yeah. <laughs> and I was kind of just like, this is really, I, I really like it speaks to the difference between the two of them as artists, where it's just yes. like now they're, I mean, Bob Dylan, he means he, it's a very different ball game, and also like he's older. And so there is maybe this kind of baked in gratitude for like him just being around. I get but that. it's like his audience for the new stuff is there. Yes. You know, and it's just like, it's so unique. For- and it's different too with like, you know, the Rolling Stones say what you will about them, but like they will play satisfaction at yes. that show. Like you are not going home without hearing what you want to hear for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, that's interesting to think about. Yeah, man. It was, uh, it was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, I, I want to ask you just a couple more Dylan questions before kind of broadening our scope a little bit sure. here. But uh, um, it, one of the things, again, we talked about this right before going on was you also did a little trip of your own uh, uh, to, to Minnesota, right? I mean, you're kind of laughing. Are you ashamed? I did. No, I, no, of course not. I mean, I'm very glad to have done it. But it was another one of those moments where I told people what I was doing. I went in October, too. Nobody oh, goes sure. to Minnesota in October. I gotcha. I did, though. And everyone was like, why? why what are you doing? Like, are you all right? Like, why are you doing this? Um, But it was one of those things where, to be honest with you, I was having a very Bob Dylan year. You know, the the two, uh, I I wanted to see that stuff in person for sure. It was something that I didn't have to take that many days off of work to go do. It was a shorter trip. Um, And I, so yeah, I flew into Minneapolis and I spent a couple of days in Minneapolis kind of hunting around. I went over to what they call Dinky Town, which uh-huh. is the university area um, where Bob Dylan's first apartment was in Minneapolis, oh, wow. which is on top of what used to be a restaurant that unfortunately closed during the pandemic. So oh, no. kind of, yeah, it was like a pandemic sort of town. Um, so that's still over there on top. It used to be that you could go inside it. I don't think you can do that anymore, but it's very interesting. Um, 
so spent a little bit of time there and then I rented a car and I drove up to Hibbing first mm -hmm. and actually it, you brought up the philosophy of modern song earlier yeah. and I this is so nerdy but I made a whole playlist of all the songs in the book and that was what I listened to when I drove up to Hibbing Allison I did the exact same thing. Did you? <laughs> I mean, I didn't take the road trip, but I have that playlist for sure. <laughs> oh, my God. So then you get it. You understand all of what I'm saying. Oh, my yeah. God. Absolutely. Um, drove up to Hibbing, and I met up with um, Bill Pagel, who actually owns the original house in oh Hibbing. I had met Bill um, in Tulsa because he was in Tulsa ah, as okay. well. Um, I sent him an email before I went. I was like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to be in Hibbing. Like, you know, if you, I, I'd love to see the house if that's possible because totally. he does give tours of the house. Um, and so that's what I did. I rolled into town and I went to Bob Dylan's house, which is still, Bill has, um, repainted it. I think the same color that it was when it, when it was Bob's house, mm -hmm. it's down the street from the high school. Um, it's a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. It was pretty spacious considering, you know, for a, for a 1950s, like family home in, in Hibbing, Minnesota. Yeah. Um, and Bill has done an incredible job of kind of recreating the rooms. And so he still got his grandmother's piano, Bob's grandmother's piano and oh chair in the living room, some sheet music that Bob had left there. Ugh. Um, some of his mother's like China cups in the kitchen, stuff like that. So it looks Pretty much untouched. I mean, there's still some new furniture, but pretty much untouched, which is wild. It's like stepping back wow. into like a time capsule. Um, and Bill took me through the whole house. He took me into Bob's bedroom, the whole thing. It was really, <laughs> really crazy. Um, and he took me downstairs, which I thought was probably the most interesting part apart from his bedroom. Um, it had that, you know, kind of like 70s wood paneling sort of thing that, right, you right. know, all basements from that era pretty much look like. Um, and like a lot of family, you know, houses from that era, uh, Bob's dad had kind of made the basement like the kids area for him mm -hmm. and his brother, um, you know, for friends to come over and play instruments and rock out and do what they did back in the day. Um, and Bill pointed out to me on a couple spots on the wall where Bob had etched in his initials in the oh, wall really? when he was a kid. Yeah, oh it's so crazy. Um, Bill Pagel is definitely somebody that, you know, has devoted their life to making sure that this stuff stays standing and yeah. is available for people to go see. So I did that. And then I also walked down the street. I went to the high school, did a little loop around the high school, which is obviously where Bob, you know, um, did his, his most formative, you know, years. Yeah. Um, went to the library. The Hibbing Library has this really cool, again, in a basement, they've just collected a whole bunch of Bob Dylan memorabilia and stuff. No way. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. So they have, you know, like one of the doors from the house and um, various pieces of art. They have a paper mache Bob Dylan down in the basement, which is mm. kind of crazy. Um, and then I also, I just happened, this was just on a whim. I went over, I stopped into this little antique shop, like on the corner to kill some time. And I was talking to the woman at the counter and I said, oh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm just through town. Like, do you have a recommendation for a spot for dinner? Like, I don't, I don't know anything in town. Yeah. She was talking to me and she was telling me and she said, oh, what are you, what are you doing in town? I told her I was in town from New York. She said, what are you doing all the way out here? And I was <laughs> like, that's a fair question. Um, I'm just looking at some Bob Dylan stuff. Like I'm yeah. a music journalist and just I, a big Bob Dylan fan. And she said, oh, one of the girls who works here, she went to high school with him. What? I, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what <laughs> i know she said oh yeah she uh, she's not here right now but yeah she went to high school with him and she always said he was so weird and quiet <laughs> i was like well that makes sense yeah that tracks with what yeah, we yeah. know about i i that, i got that yeah 
but I, you know, I so I was standing there a little bit awestruck, and this woman probably thought I was super weird, like yeah. you know, a New Yorker in Hibby, Minnesota, who's like obsessed with this just guy from her hometown, <laughs> right? Um, and she, you know, I just found it really interesting that you can still go to Hibby, Minnesota, and there are still people in Hibby, Minnesota yeah. who have had direct, you know, like gr- they grew up with Bob Dylan. Right. It's crazy. Well, it's interesting too to hear that uh, um, that this stuff is like marked in any kind of way because yeah. a lot of times, I mean, like I feel like you see uh, uh, like. Like news items sometimes it's just like oh like the house where so and so like grew up you know is like on the market now mm-hmm. and just like someone just like lives in that house. like I <laughs> like and yeah. I also think that like uh, like being so close to New Jersey it's like very easy to do some Springsteen like stuff sure. and like you go and it's like there's a little plaque at like 10th Avenue and East Street and stuff like yeah. that and like obviously like everybody like loves him there you know but it's like it's not like uh it's not like marked in any kind of way. No. Like if you were just like through town, it's like, oh my god, that's the house where he like wrote "Darkness on the Edge of Town." You know what I mean? Like Most you gotta it, know what you're looking at. That's true. Yeah, yeah, you you have to kind of be already on a mission. I mean, yeah. the the house itself, like the childhood house, Bill has a sign out front that's just like it looks like a lawnscaping like right, sign. Right. You know, like you wouldn't know it. <laughs> um, I think the biggest quote unquote monument or whatever in town at the high school now they do have like some kind of big old like statue or whatever it's not of him but it has like a bunch of his lyrics on and stuff that's probably the biggest thing i mean hippie in itself is like you could throw a rock and hit the other end of it so um teeny tiny but i just thought it was so funny that like i went into the dinkiest looking shop in town (laughs) and the woman was there there. he was weird (laughs) (laughs) um and then i ended up uh the following day i drove over to duluth which is only like an hour and a half um the other way um and bill also owns the other house that is in duluth as well that one i'm pretty sure the top uh floor is still an apartment like you can still just live in bob dylan's house like a normal tenant which is like insane (laughs) and i'm pretty sure i saw someone like in the window like looking at me out when i was taking a picture of the house and they probably thought like what what is this person doing it's another one of those dylan (laughs) one of them i know um there's obviously less to see in duluth in terms of like direct you know links back to bob dylan there is um a monument in uh one of the corners on duluth there's that lyric where he says they're selling postcards from the hanging yeah Yeah, and obviously we don't know exactly what he was referring to in that lyric um but there is a corner in duluth where um three black men were hanged right for yeah so i mean that is still there but apart from that there's not necessarily any like other direct links i just mm-hmm. thought it was really cool to kind of just be where it all had had started and it's yeah. a beautiful town overlooking the lake it was it was worth it it's cool to hear too that like people were receptive to you saying that because like they part were. of me it, it would not be hard for me to imagine that like the, like the people who like live there are just like yeah people are coming through here all the time just being like <laughs> <laughs> where's the fucking house like, yeah, like, like exactly so it's cool it seems like it seems like that's not true or maybe it is and they just like they just like it <laughs> i don't know i mean i i have to imagine too that the number of people who are actually doing what I did is not that big I mean I don't know I'm not entirely sure how many people have done that Um, I do also know that Duluth has their annual Bob Dylan Fest in Uh May so I'm sure they get a whole bunch of like people coming through town for that reason if they have something specific again I went in October in Minnesota I want to emphasize that because people do not do that (laughs) I wouldn't necessarily recommend yeah Yeah. it was great because there weren't a ton of people around but yeah not exactly prime Minnesota weather (laughs) right 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 (laughs) 
but it was, you know, it was, it was a great trip. It was a lot of fun. I got to see a lot of things that, you know, I, I certainly never thought I might yeah. actually see in person. So and awesome. It was yeah. nerdy, but it was, it was uh, worth it. I, I will definitely at some point in the next couple of years yeah. be asking you to send me your itinerary for this. Completely. To recreate. Oh my gosh. It was really neat. Um, I want to remind everybody that our number here at Radio Free Brooklyn is 718-673-8201. If you'd like to call in, that's 718 673 Zero one. Uh, I'm Colby Smith here on Clear the Dance Floor talking to Allison Rapp about uh, mostly Bob Dylan, but now, <laughs> now more. All right. Because you've interviewed some people, some real heavy hitters in the, in the, <laughs> in the game here. Uh, and I guess before I get into specific ones, I'm wondering for you, who was the first kind of like a big, like classic rock star who you interviewed and were you a wreck beforehand? Oh my <laughs> gosh. Because I definitely would have been. Um, well, I wouldn't necessarily call him a... a heavy hitter per se but my uh-huh. first like big kind of interview that I would consider like memorable at least in my eyes was uh before I even like started working full-time in music journalism I did a lot of this stuff freelance while I was still in college yeah um and I did a semester abroad in Scotland I lived in Glasgow for about six months mm-hmm. um and when I was over there I was freelancing and I found out that David Knopfler who's the younger brother of Mark Knopfler right. of Dire Straits so he was in the band for the first two or three albums um, was putting out records. I mean, he has been very quiet over the last couple of decades for some obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has continued to put out records regularly. Um, and I saw that he was putting out a new record and I didn't know anything about interviewing anyone or doing this yeah. kind of work really. Um, and I was freelancing for a public- publication that only paid me $25 an article, which is nothing, <laughs> but I had to start somewhere. Yeah, of course. Um, and so I just pitched this idea to him. I was like, Hey, um, I'm just, a, I'm literally 19 years old. I'm a 19 year old yeah. college student. Um, but I saw you put it on a new record and I was love to do an interview. We could talk about the new music, et cetera. Um, you know, let me know if we could like set up a phone call. Mm. And he said, well, why don't you just, you, you said you're living here in the UK for now. Like, why don't you come on down? I didn't wow. realize that come on down meant literally all the way to the South of England, like the <laughs> Southern peninsula, like s- right. farther than London. Um, so you were on the train for like six hours or something which like to that. Me, like, yeah, <laughs> it was like an eight hour train trip, which to me wasn't that bad because I'm from Buffalo originally. So I'm doing oh, okay. that eight hour train trip between here and Buffalo all the time. So to me, that's nothing. When I showed up, he was like, oh my God, you've been across the world like, yeah. to get here. <laughs> um, but anyway, it was kind of a whirlwind thing. Like we had lunch and we talked about Dire Straits and we talked about all this sorts of, you know, really, really cool stuff. And at the end he was like, oh, why don't you like you know, you're only here for a day. Like, let's, let's go get in the car and take a walk on the beach. And, you know, so he took me around like Southern England and his little beat up Honda. And we were talking about dire straits. We went on this walk with his dog and his wife and it was really cool. And that was my first moment. Like, Whoa, this is fun. I'm enjoying this. I'm learning a lot about stuff that I never would have thought I would have. Um, that was like my big kind of first brush with a lot of that stuff. Oh my God. This is like the dream it, first experience. It was like, the dream I- first experience. <laughs> I caught the bug. <laughs> I totally did. You know, I, I've thought about that too, that I'm glad it was an experience like that and not just the, like a, you know, here, call this number. And so, right, and so right, we'll pick yeah. up at this time, which Absolutely. is how a lot of these things end up working. Not that it's a, you know, that's what you got to do in this job, but um, yeah, it was, it was great. That is the coolest. That's awesome. It that was. He it was, was that chill. Neat. Yes, <laughs> he great. was. And yeah, that's, that's another thing too, is that, you know, for somebody to be that receptive to somebody that inexperienced right. <laughs> really was, it was really special. Um, yeah. So I'm glad I kind of, you know, got my foot in the door that yeah, way. Yeah. I, I, I'm thinking now of like a, a, a horror story that, that, Andy Green told me oh, when God. he was on the old show where he said that uh, uh, whenever it, there was like he had done some phone interviews with Elton John uh, uh, <laughs> prior to this happening. So it wasn't like a disillusioning moment right. or whatever. But um, 
like it was through Rolling Stone, so like obviously you know it, he's gonna play ball, you know. So yeah. Elton John just like calls his number, and he somehow has gotten the name wrong. He thinks he's like <gasps> he's he's calling for that someone named Roger is gonna interview him, <laughs> oh, and no. so he he calls Andy Green, and he's like, uh, "Hi, this is Elton. I'm calling for Roger for the interview." And uh, Andy Green's like, "Oh no, this is Andy. Like you're gonna oh. interview with me." And he just went. No, no, they said I. They said I'm. I'm going for. Uh, I'm calling for Roger. And he was like, Oh no, no, it's probably just a mistake. Like I'm Andy Green. Like we've talked before. Like, uh, like we, we, you, you're, you're in the right place. Like we can do the interview. And then John just went, I'm calling for Roger. And like hung up the phone. No. <laughs> but then like called back and apologized. And, like five minutes later. Oh my god, that's insane. I mean, it make I, I can see that happening somehow. Absolutely. Like, oh my god. Yeah, that's oh that's god. not a pleasant experience. Truly, it would be uh, a nightmare. For oh me. my god. No, I'm so glad. I don't think I've ever been yelled at on the phone yet. That's we'll, great. We'll get there. I'm sure, but I have not been yelled at yet. That's good. I, yeah, yeah. You just wait till uh, wait till the Elton John. Wait until Elton John yeah. tries to call me and ask for Roger. Yeah, then we're gonna have a problem. <laughs> There is a. I'll just. I'll just. Since we're talking about Elton John throwing tantrums, there is a an amazing documentary called Tantrums and Tiaras. Are you aware of? of I think this? I'm. Yeah, I've never seen it. Uh, it is one of the funniest things I've ever. Seen. I would really. I would recommend it so highly. Okay. Where it's just like they just follow him around. Uh, one of his like obscure '90s albums mm. is coming out, and mm-hmm. they just follow him around as he like d- like re- goes to rehearsal and like makes the music videos and everything. And there's there's a part where he drives to like the studio where the music video is going to be shooting and the the car drives away without them getting the like trunks of his clothes out of <laughs> out of the car and he just melts down oh, no. <laughs> and he's like wearing this like long fur coat. <laughs> he's just Full being get up. the biggest baby just being like i don't want to do i don't even want to do this no no i, I don't want to do it now tell them it's off tell them it's off and everyone everyone oh is gosh. like babying him too they're just like elton come on you know you have to and he's like no no i won't we need more like that out there we really do. We, I, I need to see more of that we really do oh my god anyway so funny. going back to people you've interviewed here uh um mm-hmm. i wanted to ask you about one in particular because i I have a, a big fixation with this band, uh, mm-hmm. which is Heart, and I know you interviewed Ooh, Ann Wilson. I did. Uh, can you tell me anything about that? She scares me. I mean, she really. <laughs> I was too. so nervous before that interview. I tend to get a little nervous sometimes. I'm a fan, you know. I don't want to sure. step on anyone's toes, obviously. Um, but she, I was really nervous before that one I for bet. sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was right around the time that she'd released that last album, Fierce Bliss. Yeah. Um, which is fantastic. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it's so cool. Um, but I was very nervous because I knew that she kind of had a little bit of a reputation for not being unkind or anything no, like no. that. But you know, she's she's a tough cookie. She's Crack, for sure. She is. Yeah. And she does, you know, we were on only on the phone for maybe 20, 30 minutes or so. Um, and she came, I felt like I was messing up or something because she does tend to speak in these very kind of like short, like to oh, the yeah. point, stilted sort of sentences. Right. Um, that made me very nervous. But, you know, we, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, the new record, obviously. Um, but also, you know, she was pretty candid about the relationship that she has with her sister now mm-hmm. and, you know, was very... I don't necessarily want to say casual per se, because I know that she takes it very seriously, but also, you know, she wanted to make it clear that their relationship was what it was and that there wasn't this, you know, people were assuming left and right that they weren't on speaking terms and that it was this whole huge thing. And it was to a certain degree, a whole huge thing. Um, But it was not anywhere near the kind of level that some people seem to assume it was. And she made it very clear that, you know, she and her sister 
were communicative and were still very much sisters, you mm. know, at the end of the day. And yeah. that that was special to me. Yeah. That, I mean, this had to be such a relief that she <laughs> would open I up. I know. In this way. I was like, a little <laughs> nervous about that because I was like, I really want her to talk a little bit about that, but I, I certainly do not want to be responsible for right. some kind of huge <laughs> heart blow her. up. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, it would have been pretty bad, but she was she was very nice. And, you know, we talked a little bit more about how, um, you know, before Heart and before a lot of uh, those records, there weren't very many female voices like hers on the mm. radio being played consistently. Absolutely. Um, and she was talking about how, you know, back in the day, there was a quota that certain radio stations had to meet in terms of like how many women could be played. And now, you know, you go into any sort of store and you've got the radio on, Pandora's on, mm. and it's woman after woman after woman on a lot of these playlists, which, you know. So it was interesting to hear from her perspective that kind of shift from, you know, that was what her experience was 50 years ago. Oh, yeah. And for her to now, like, be able to get in the car and turn on the radio and hear those women, I think, you know, she made it clear that that's that means a lot to her. Yeah, that's awesome. That's yeah. very, very cool. And it is so true. I mean, it's just like, it, it's so funny, I feel like, for, 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 for people of our generation to, like, think of, like, um, like, how seriously, particularly, like, early Rolling Stone and some of that mm. stuff is just, like, takes, like, rock music as being like a thing that like men are making like to, to <laughs> like to have a message you know what I mean because like yeah. now it's just like the pop charts and even like the rock charts to some extent are c- tremendously female dominated you know yeah. what I mean like for there to have been a point at in music journalism where people were like writing off the achievements mm-hmm. of like of some of these sing- of, like women singers is like crazy to imagine now. yeah I've also I've interviewed Judy Collins as well and I remember asking I was gonna her, ask you about yeah, this yeah I asked yeah. her um if she had any advice for um, singer-songwriters today, like yeah. especially females ones, and she said, don't do it, essentially, was her answer. <laughs> I, I, that, I paraphrase a little bit, but essentially she was like, don't do you know. I, and then she clarified a bit that, you know, no matter who you are in this industry, it's a ton of hard work. Sure. It's exhausting. It's relentless. It will break you down. I mean, just like a lot of jobs will, of course, yeah. but especially in an industry like this. Um, and and she wanted to make it very clear to whoever, whoever was reading that, you know, it's not just something you wake up one morning and decide, like, I'm going to do this. You might decide that, but you also need to be aware that there's a lot of work that goes goes with that. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's awesome. Yeah, great. I mean, uh, that's somebody, too, who I feel like is just waiting for, like, Zoomer TikTok to find. You know what I mean? (laughs) I feel like Judy Collins is about to be, like, quasi-ironically embraced and then genuinely embraced. (laughs) She's got a tough side to her. Like, she totally does. And she, you know, didn't take no for an answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, She has that famous story of, uh, you know, Leonard Cohen asking her, well, why don't you write your own songs? And she went home literally that afternoon and wrote, well, since you've asked. Right, right. (laughs) And put it on that record. And that record was huge, you know. So, um yeah, she was she was a lot of fun to talk to as well. Yeah. Last one, because I know this one, I imagine this one had personal resonance for you, given that your mom's fandom is Peter Frampton. Oh, my gosh. Peter, <laughs> Peter's a doll. I mean, he's so sweet. Pete, he really is. listen to you. <laughs> he's so, so fun. kind. I know. It was. He, um, yeah, I mean, he's a really, really just kind, considerate, um, you know, interview, especially for somebody who could very easily be the opposite of that and very easily yeah, yeah. could have a kind of arrogant tone to him. Um, he could not be a nicer guy. I remember we talked at the time he was very, very excited because at the time he was in the process of getting his new service dog, mm. which was helping him with, uh, you know, he has IBM and uh, the muscle degenerative yeah, yeah. disease. Um, and he was very excited about the fact that he was getting a new dog. We talked, I kid you not, for like maybe 15, 20 minutes about <laughs> his new dog. And I, it was great. I mean, I love dogs. We had a really That's great awesome. conversation about dogs. It was sweet. Um, and he also told me 
a fabulous story about Prince. I usually tend to ask people, uh, Ultimate Classic Rock also, there's a site called Ultimate Prince where we cover yeah. a lot of Prince news. Um, and so I tend to ask artists who maybe have rubbed shoulders with Prince to talk a little bit about that. Um, and he told me this fabulous story about how when he was on tour with Bowie on uh-huh. the Glass Spiders tour, um, they did a stop in Minneapolis and it was, it must've been after the show. Um, where they were all hanging out at Prince's house, something like that. It was post-show. And everybody was gathered in a circle like with Prince in a circle. (laughs) Nobody wanted to talk to Prince at all. Like nobody could say a word to Prince. They thought he was, you know, he was Prince for God's sake in in 1987. Um, And Peter was like, well, I'll say something. And he walks across the circle and introduces himself to Prince directly. He's like, hi, I'm Peter. You know, like, I love your work. Blah blah. Like the nicest guy again. Uh Um, Prince doesn't say anything at all. (laughs) So Peter's like, oh, okay, all right. That's great. And then the next day he finds out, he gets word that Prince apparently went around the whole, like hours after that, saying to people like, that man Peter is so nice. He's so great. Have you have you have you talked to Peter? Oh. He was like, yeah, which I just thought was the sweetest story ever. Um, that's so that's wild. the kind of guy that Peter Frampton is. And yeah. He's like that on the phone, and he's like that you know in pretty much every circumstance. Oh, so incredible! He is fabulous. That's yeah. so cool. Well, uh, Allison Rap, we gotta go. We gotta wrap the show up now. Uh, where can people find you? What's next for you? What what's what's twenty twenty three look like for? An Allison Rapp. Wow, good question. <laughs> um, well, I'm an assistant editor at ultimateclassicrock.com, so all of that work is definitely up there. I'm also on Twitter at AllisonRapp22. I tweet a lot of my you know work and whatnot over there as well. For me, I mean, right now I'm kind of doing a lot of work. Um, David Bowie's Aladdin Sane turns 50 mm-hmm. next month, which is a pretty big milestone, so I'm doing a lot of work with that. Um, you can also find me at The Cure here at MSG later this hey. summer. That's my big show. Um, and also, I will be out west for Joni Mitchell's big debut return, rather. Oh, my God, really? Yes. Oh, wow. I, I am. That's going to be spectacular. Very excited about that. That's Whoa. my big ticket item this year. Yeah. So I will be writing about that. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, uh, that's great. Well, thank you so much again for coming to doing the show. It was so fun to talk to you. I feel like this flew by. Thank you so much for having me. This was a real treat. I hope to do it again. And everyone else should keep their dials tuned to Radio Free Brooklyn as Two Thumbs Undecided comes up after us. But in the meantime, this has been Clear the Dance Floor with me, your host, Colby Smith. We'll be back next week. See you all then. Here's a guy we just mentioned, actually. Here's Leonard Cohen. Jazz police. Can you tell me why the bells are ringing? Doesn't sound like him at all, does it? I've been sitting here since Wednesday morning.